Yes, let me start. Uh, a very good evening to one and all. Uh, I welcome you all to episode four of the um, of the employment debates, and uh, we are very fortunate to have with us a wonderful panel of experts. Uh, and the main speaker for today, Dr. Radhika Pandey. Um, I am uh, grateful to uh, Professor Vinoj Abraham for uh, uh, accepting our invitation to moderate the session, and also to Professor R. B. Bhagat for uh, chairing the session. Thank you very much. Uh, it is my pleasure to introduce to you uh, Professor Vinoj Abraham, who is professor at Center for Development Studies, CDS, in Thiruvananthapuram, um, Kerala. Thank you, sir. Uh, Professor Vinoj Abraham is um, a noted expert on labor and development, gender, technology, uh, regional development, um, and he has worked on large-scale uh, large secondary data and uh, has also conducted a number of primary surveys. Um, he is an expert on employment and wages in India, including wage inequality and working poor. Uh, he has uh, done his uh, PhD from um, CSRD in JNU. Um, thank you very much, sir, for joining us this evening. Uh, I now uh, hand over the mic to you. And uh, if you could just introduce the session and then we can take it from there. Thank you very much. Yes, thank you. Thank you, Dr. Sini. <clears throat> can you hear me? Okay. So, uh, I think uh, uh, this uh, sessions, a uh, number of sessions has been held by IMPRI regarding the issues relating to employment. The challenge of employment, as uh, we all know, uh, we already had an issue of un unemployment, which had been peaking uh, prior to the COVID-19, uh, starting from the 2017-18 L, uh, what is that, uh, uh, report. Uh, labor force uh, report that we had. And we had seen that unemployment rates had already started showing at around 6%. And then 2018-19, uh, there is a slight dip in the open unemployment. But again, uh, we see that the underemployment rates have been increasing during this period between 2017-18 and 1990. So this is the case even before COVID had started coming in uh, to, uh, to play a role in the economy as such. Now with COVID, we know that uh, given the extreme effect that COVID had on the economy, though we do not have uh, uh, what we call real-time data with regard to unemployment in official data, we do not have right now because of the uh, lag in the data collection that occurs uh, with regard to employment data. But whatever information that we have, especially from CMI, whatever information we have, we do know that unemployment rate has shot up very badly during the months of April and May, and then it has started declining somewhat uh, during the months of June. I mean, during the lockdown phase, we had seen a sudden sharp rise in unemployment in the country. And then we had the entire uh, media uh, attention on migration that was happening, the, the hapless migrants on the roads searching for work and those who had work who had to, uh, who could not reach their places of work and those who had, go, had to go back to their places of origin could not find uh, jobs over there. And uh, then we had the story of MGNR just playing a role over there. So a, a very tumultuous uh, kind of catastrophic period that we had seen for the last uh, eight to nine months. 
Now, uh, despite all these failings, uh, we know that uh, the government of India had been trying to pitch in in whatever ways possible. I mean, we know that uh, the three packages of Arpada Bharat that has come in, uh, stimulus package one, two, and three has come in and uh, kind of aiming at uh, uh, different uh, uh, classes or different uh, different groups of people in support in, in the three packages as such. When the last package, obviously, it is aimed at the poorest of the poor uh, groups of people. But uh, the other packages, if you remember the package one and two, it was slightly aimed towards the uh, uh, larger business and the smaller business groups. Assets. But in the in the last uh, of the uh, the packages kind of come, it seemed to have started listening to some of the stories that have been told around with regard to moving towards uh, a, a demand side approach, meeting the demand side first and rather than going through the supply side as so I think uh, uh, we have an eminent person, Dr. Radhika Pandey, who would uh, deliver her, her talk with regard to how the, uh, the government's package with regard to unemployment, with regard to meeting the problem of COVID and also how it is going to affect the uh, employment or unemployment situation in, the, in this country. So I think uh, uh, she, had, she had been writing on uh, various aspects relating to COVID as well as uh, the issues relating to employment. Uh, I, will, uh, I think uh, Dr. Simi is going to introduce her again. I will not uh, venture into that. Uh, uh, let's hear to Dr. Abhika Pandey after uh, Dr. Simi introduces her. Thank you. Thank you very much, Professor Abraham. Uh, before I uh, request uh, Professor R.B. Bhagat to invite formally uh, Dr. Radhika Pandey to give her lecture, it is my pleasure and my pri privilege to introduce to you Professor R.B. Bhagat, who is uh, currently Professor and Head Department of Migration and Urban Studies at International Institute of Population Sciences in Mumbai. And uh, he is a very, very reputed scholar and a uh, teacher at, uh, of migration especially and has, uh, ha and has held number of uh, um, positions and uh, has been a consultant to various national and international bodies on migration. And uh, his areas of research include population, urbanization, migration and environment. Uh, he has worked extensively on various areas of evolution of demographic data and construction of social identities. Um, he has he holds a uh, master's degree in uh, geography from CSRD JNU and uh, also and a PhD uh, in demography from University of Bombay. And so thank you very much, sir, for uh, joining us this evening and agreeing to chair the session. Uh, I formally invite you. Uh, to invite Professor Dr. Radhika Pandey. Over to you, sir. Thank you, Simi, uh, for this introduction. And uh, uh, I must congratulate Impri and Dr. Arjun Kumar, Dr. Simi Mehta for uh, our Organizing this type of type of webinar, I have been observing and participating for the last six months, and uh, he, uh, uh, both of them have provided a very good of India and abroad, and discussed so many things and various aspects of 
pandemic has affected our social, economic, and political life. But this is also very employment is very very important, and I think this is very very crucial thing. And we have not been discussing maybe some reasons or more of the polemics uh, to politics. As you have seen that uh, before pandemic also, there was a lot of discussion, debate on employment situation in India. And uh, it was very, very clear that yes, there was jobless growth and uh, data were not there and data were not published and whatever data have been published, it clearly showed that yes, there has been huge unemployment. On the other hand, we have been uh, talking about uh, demographic dividend. So this type of hype and contradictions, so India is a great democracy. India has a lot of opportunity of demographic dividend. It has big market. We can become global power. But what is happening to this demographic dividend? Of course, our uh, population, if you see very young, median age is just 27 years, means 50% population is above 70, 27 years and below it is 50%. So it's a young, but then what is happening to the demographic dividend uh, or it is a demographic wastage? Uh, that is uh, a real question to be linked with employment and unemployment situation of the country. Then. We were silent before pandemic. Uh, there was almost uh, silence about uh, migrant workers, as if migrant workers were not part of the workforce. And data were since not available because NSSO provided data last time in 2007, 2008, and census did not give data on migration until 2019. And therefore, there was no some sort of something, a silence, that this is not a problem at all. But then when COVID came and migrants started walking on the road, we realized that yes, migrant workforce, and then we, uh, there are a lot of interest in media, academicians, politicians. Yes, now it is recognized, but uh, it, whether it will be sustained and how it will be sustained, or we are going again back to the similar situation. So this is another very important question that how to integrate migrant workforce with the, with the general workforce, how we can understand this migrant component. And of course, this informality is a big, big thing. Uh, there is a huge informal sector in our country, more than 90% are informal employment. But if, if you see the Atmanirbhar Bharat employment uh, package that was announced in 11 November, whatever has been said about creating job in the formal or in a formalized way. So incentives are in that direction. What is happening to the informal workers? And among informal workers, those who are not regular in regular job, those who are self-employed, badly affected by COVID, self-employment. And then second was the wage labor. And wage labor and self-employment, maybe around 60% of the workforce. What is the package for this segment? 
so these are i think informal sector and within informal sector there are segments which are very very marginalized they need social protection and various support and among them i think uh, migrant workers also come into the picture so these are i think wider issues and uh, uh, we need to discuss all these things and we have very learned speaker and distinguished person uh, uh, professor radhika pande and uh, uh, hope uh, she will be throwing lot of light on this and we can have discussions on this and there is a good panel i can see professor vinod uh, abraham uh, arjun kumar and professor pille so all these i think it's a good platform that and we will have a good discussion so with these remarks uh, now i hand over to dr simi to for the further proceedings thank, thank you. you very much thank you very much professor bhagat thank you for your initial remarks uh, it is now my privilege to introduce to you dr radhika pande who is a consultant with the national institute of public finance and policy new delhi Uh, Dr. Pandey's core area of work include uh, macroeconomics, uh, business cycles, financial sector, legislative reforms, capital re capital controls, etc. One of her key areas of work has been to improve the measurement of the economy through a research program on empirical macroeconomics, which includes identifying well-measured data, seasonal adjustment, and identifying the dating business cycle conditions. Uh, Dr. Pandey, as uh, Professor Bhagat mentioned, is an erudite scholar and has also been a part of a number of um, uh, Ministry of Finance instituted expert committees, such as Financial Legislative Reforms Commission, Panel on Expert External Commercial Borrowings, and Report of the Working Group on Foreign Investments in India. Uh, so, with these few uh, words, I. Uh, welcome dr radhika pande thank you very much for joining us this evening and uh, we look forward to your talk and learning more from you over to you dr pande you're welcome uh, thank you very much thank you impact and policy research institute thank you professor arjun kumar thank you simi uh, thank you professor bhagat for that introduction and also many thanks to dr vinod abraham for the you know uh, a brief introduction to the topic uh with that i'll uh, just begin my uh talk which is a broad area which is uh, employment scenario and what the government has done to uh, address the problem of uh, unemployment which has got aggravated in the covid-19 uh, scenario uh what has been the main approach of the atmanirbhar packages what the government has tried to do uh and what more can be done what could be expected further these are some of the uh, the points that uh, we shall try to cover in the next uh, 30 to 40 minutes next slide please yeah so just to set a, a, a perspective to what we are discussing today uh, there is an important uh, uh, recent report by mckinsey on uh, economic agenda to spur growth and jobs uh, this was released in august 2020 uh what it says is that you know from 2023 to 2030 that is starting from the financial year uh 2023 india needs to create at least 90 million non farm jobs by 2030 
uh, and it is important to uh, this many jobs are important to absorb the new entrants. Uh, these many jobs are important to absorb uh, to lead to the structural transformation that we are seeing in the economy, where whereby people move from the uh, relatively unproductive unproductive farm sectors to the non uh, to the productive uh, uh, non farm sectors. Uh, this in turn means that every year there should be an additional 12 million non-farm jobs uh, should be created started from starting from the fiscal year 2023 and to just set the things in comparison this is just a triple of what uh, number of jobs have been created annually between the period of 2012 to 2018. So this is a big challenge that the uh, report talks about that from 2023 onwards, once we hope that the impact of pandemic recedes and the economy starts looking ahead uh, towards charting a high growth path for itself, it is important that it sets a, a very ambitious agenda to achieve an employment uh, growth, which is consistent with generating at least 90 million non-farm jobs and towards this end it is very important that you know there has to be high economic growth to absorb these uh, uh, to create these many jobs uh, especially in the productive uh, uh, non-farm jobs uh, sector uh, this would require a boost to gdp growth at least 8 to 8.5 percent uh, gdp growth would be required uh, and growth is particularly uh, necessary in uh, sectors of uh, manufacturing construction and other labor intensive sectors so this leads us to the important conclusion that yes employment generation is very important and what we have seen over the last couple of years especially from uh, 2015 16 uh, we saw that uh, uh, there was a high GDP growth, there was GVA growth, uh, which grew handsomely, uh, but employment growth was very anemic. And going forward, we cannot afford that kind of a, a jobless growth. We need to have for sustained uh, economic growth, we need to have, you know, a, a job oriented economic growth. So what does the data on employment tell us? So what we are going to uh, you know, discuss now with uh, Professor Abraham has already talked about some of these uh, uh, numbers in uh, some detail, but we'll just touch upon those uh, as to how the pandemic has further aggravated the problem of uh, unemployment in the economy. Uh, so before we delve into the numbers, uh, first, what is the concept? we need to know what is, when we say unemployment, what is unemployment rate? It is the number of persons who are not employed, but they are willing to work and actively looking for a job as percent of the total labor force. So it's not just those who are uh, unemployed. There should be those people who are unemployed, but who are willing to work and actively looking for a job. And what is a labor force? Labor force is the total number of people who are employed and who are unemployed. So labor force is the universe within which we are looking at people who are either employed, that is they are working, as well as those who are unemployed, but who are uh, willing to work and are actively looking for a job. So if we move to the next slide. Yeah, so uh, if we see the, uh, the during the pandemic period, the first full month of the lockdown was uh, April 2020. And during this period, the unemployment rate, which was which used to, uh, you know, average around eight to nine percent surged to 23.52 percent in April 2020. Uh, in May also, which was more or less a lockdown period, the unemployment rate was 21.73 
person. And since then, we see that as with partial unlocking and then uh, as the lockdown, the harsh lockdown that was introduced in April and May, as it eased down, we saw that the unemployment numbers started to uh, decline. And if we look at the if we look at the data which is published by the Center for uh, Monitoring Indian Economy, uh, which releases the all India figures as well as rural and urban, we find that the rural unemployment rate is comparatively lower as compared to the urban uh, unemployment rate uh, in each of these months. That is starting from the uh, lockdown period from April uh, to say October, uh, for which we have data available. We find that in each of these months, the unemployment rate is lower in uh, rural areas as compared to in uh, urban areas. And the main reason for this is that we have uh, whatever schemes the government initially uh, uh, started were mainly to address the problem of uh, the surge in rural uh, unemployment, because as uh, we will discuss that uh, due to the lockdown, there was a sudden uh, influx of uh, uh, workers from cities to rural areas, and therefore there was a there was a increase in uh, the rural unemployment. And to address rural unemployment, a lot of measures were introduced. Uh, so those did bear fruit, and we do see that the decline in urban unemployed, the decline in unemployment is primarily seen in rural areas as compared to urban areas. But uh, if we start looking at, you know, the recent uh, months, that is from November onward, we again find that, you know, we see a kind of stagnation. We don't see a consistent decline in unemployment from the month of November onwards. Uh, another um, uh, uh, you know, we can say a disappointing feature of the labor market that is now being witnessed is that there has been actually a decline not only in the unemployment rate, but also in the labor force participation rate, which, which essentially means that people are now less number of people are looking, are even looking or willing to work. So, you know, there has been a decline in the labor force participation rate uh, in the recent months, uh, in the recent weeks. Uh, and that is a cause of concern. And if that uh, continues to persist, that will be a major, uh, you know, the, uh, a major feature of the labor market that needs to be studied and analyzed as to what is causing a decline in the labor force participation rate. And that is something which the uh, national employment policy uh, should be touching upon. And we'll talk about that in subsequent slides. Uh, so now, so what we discussed till, till now was the unemployment rate. Now let's look at in terms of absolute numbers. So in terms of absolute numbers, let us compare the April to June quarter, which was the, uh, which is the first quarter of FY21 uh, with the July, September quarter, which is the second quarter. So what we see is that during the, the, the first quarter, the April to June quarter, 8.54 crore jobs were lost uh, during this period. And if we look at the composition, it's very important to look at what kind of uh, jobs were lost during this period. 72% uh, of the job loss were for small traders and uh, wage laborers, 19% were for salaried employees, and 18% was for businesses. So these are the uh, three broad categories within which the CMIE, the, which is the Center for Monitoring Indian Economy, uh, groups the, the employment numbers. Uh, but in the uh, in the subsequent quarter, that is in the July September quarter, we do see that the employment numbers rebounded uh, sharply. They not only uh, you know recovered, but they they did not only uh, recover the lost ground, but there was an actual net addition to the employment numbers uh, greater than what was lost. 
so especially for small traders and wage laborers, so the primarily workers in the informal sector, they recovered more than the uh, loss that was seen in the April to June uh, quarter. So in terms of numbers, the lost jobs were 6.18 crore, but what was recovered was 6.21 crore. Businesses also were able to recover most of the lost ground. Uh, almost 97% of the lost jobs are recovered. I mean, people started, people got employment. But what is the major cause of concern is the uh, setback for the salaried person. So recovery rate here is just a mere 12.3%. Uh, that means the lost uh, number of jobs for salaried persons in the April to June quarter was uh, around 1.7 crore. But what was recovered was just 0.21 crore. So that is the real uh, cause of concern when we say that employment numbers rebounded sharply. Uh, it misses the point about the fact that you know the salaried employment has actually declined uh, and that has been happening even before the pandemic so this is something that needs to be uh, discussed in greater detail that whatever employment is being recovered in the uh, in the unlock phase is primarily the informal sector people are getting back to job uh, but we don't see a regular salary jobs number increasing in a uh, in a uh, healthy manner Next slide, please. Yeah, so this just presents a picture that whatever we see, the recovery has been mostly in the informal sector. And this needs to change through policy impetus. Uh, we need to ensure more formalization of jobs. And when we say formalization, it has a particular connotation and that we will take from the uh, periodic labor force survey. Uh, it means that you know people should have a written job contract it means that there should be a social security system and there should be a system of paid leaves. So once all these three features are met, then we say that there, there has been a greater formalization of uh, workforce. Next slide, please. So when we say that you know there, there has been a loss of salaried jobs, what is what is the impact on economy? So salaried jobs people are those who are getting jobs at, who are getting salary at regular uh, intervals, and it is these people only who can afford to save. You know, they are the, these are the people whom we can expect. These are the households whom we can expect to save, and therefore uh, they can you know save. They can have deposits, and when banks have deposits, it will lead to financial intermediation. These savings can be used to generate investments and so on. Uh, but what we see is that as compared to 2019-20, we have seen a decline in uh, salary job. Uh, as we pointed out that, you know, it, even though there was a high growth phase uh, from 2016 to 2018, uh, but during this time also, we did not see an increase in salary jobs. So even while the GBA increased, the salary jobs did not increase. And the proportion of salary jobs has remained stagnant as a proportion of the total uh, employment. Uh, salary jobs proportion has been hovering around 21%. Uh, so it rises marginally from 21.2 uh, to 21.6% to 21.9%. And then again, during the low growth phase, which started from 2019-20, uh, the share of salary jobs fell to 21.3%. So it is not in tandem with growth. We have not seen uh, increase in salary jobs along with increase in uh, economic growth. Similarly, we have not seen an increase in salary jobs along with increase in uh, entrepreneurship. So uh, CMI also gives numbers for the number of entrepreneurs and we do see that uh, there has been an increase in the number of entrepreneurs, but even entrepreneurship has not 
resulted in an increase in salary jobs. Uh, and that primarily implies that whatever entrepreneurship uh, growth has happened, those are you know small entrepreneurs or self-employed entrepreneurs, and that has not really accounted for or generated uh, employment in the economy. So these are some of the features of the India's growth story that needs to be taken into consideration whenever any uh, you know, long to medium term policy is formulated around employment generation in the country. Next slide, yes. So now we come to the second part. So we have some uh, understanding of the, the number. Uh, in summary, what we see is that uh, during the lockdown, the unemployment rate surged and then it came down. Uh, there was a recovery in uh, employment, uh, but the main recovery in employment is uh, driven by the uh, informal sector and not by the salary job, which continues to languish. And that has that has been a feature starting from even the high growth phase. So the uh, salary jobs proportion has remained stagnant, and this is what something which this is something which the schemes need to take into account. So okay, so next slide. So, uh, you know, one needs to remember that before we uh, understand what has been the government's focus on uh, addressing uh, the surge in unemployment during the pandemic, we need to understand that this has been in the background of a massive uh, influx of uh, uh, laborers, migrant workers from uh, uh, urban areas to rural uh, areas. So when the lockdown was introduced, uh, there was a massive influx, even though there was no transportation facilities, we saw people walking on uh, people walking on road. Uh, they were just moving, they just wanted to get back to villages so that at least they will have something to eat. Uh, they will have some, uh, they will have something where they can, you know, they can at least live, uh, have something, some subsistence level rather than uh, uh, being in the cities where there is, where they do not have any job opportunity. So we saw a massive uh, influx of laborers, migrant workers from cities to uh, rural areas. And it is in this background uh, this backdrop that we need to uh, analyze the schemes that were announced uh, by the government. Uh, so basically the initial part of the uh, lockdown or the initial part of the uh, government's uh, policy packages that have been announced, they primarily focused on generating jobs in the rural sector. Uh, so there are primarily two programs, one, in, uh, as we know, the, which is already uh, in practice, which is the Mahatma Gandhi National Rural Employment Guarantee Act. And second is the, uh, which was introduced in uh, June uh, 2020, which is the PM Garib Kalyan Rozgar Yojana. We'll just briefly talk about, touch about this, and then we'll move into great detail about Madrega and whether, you know, there has been some talk about having, uh, roll, rolling out an urban Madrega, which whether it is a useful uh, proposition or not. So uh, Pradhan Mantri Garib Kalyan Rozgar Yojana was uh, announced uh, in June 2020. Uh, basically, uh, certain uh, districts were uh, identified in uh, six states. These six states are understood to be those states which were uh, most adversely uh, impacted due to the uh, migrant uh, workforce. Uh, so in those 116 uh, districts, employment come public works program were uh, uh, announced and uh, uh, to uh, give effect to those an employment scheme was announced. So uh, the scheme has a, a corpus of uh, rupees 50,000 crore uh, for building durable rural infrastructure. So again, it is a kind of uh, Manrega only where uh, um, uh, 
manual labor is uh, 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 is primarily done to build rural uh, labor intensive rural infrastructure uh, and then during november when the atmanirbhar 3 package was announced the uh, allocation for uh, pradhan mantri garib kalyan rozgar yojana was further enhanced by 10000 crore Uh, so a, a number of work areas were identified uh, uh, within this uh, scheme uh, including rural housing panchayat bhavans community toilets and so on and it it was announced as part of a mission mode it used, it, uh, it had to be completed within a span of 125 days next slide please so now we come to manrega so that's the main uh, job uh, program that has uh, really helped in this uh, uh, in these uh, uh, troubled time so just first some basic features about the scheme uh, what does this aim at it aims at providing at least 100 days of uh, guaranteed wage employment in a financial year uh, to every rural household who volunteers to do unskilled manual work so it's very important to understand that this is primarily for unskilled manual work and where uh, you know the state is not able to provide a job within uh, against the demand generated within 15 days then uh, the state has to uh, provide unemployment uh, allowance uh, for manrega the uh, budget uh, fy for fy21 had initially announced an allocation of uh, rupees 61000 crore and at that time there was a lot of uh, criticism around uh, this allocation that this is very uh, this is small as compared to the you know the growing needs of the economy and there should be there should have been more uh, allocation towards this uh, welfare program uh, and then we saw that uh, uh, during the atmanirbhar one package that was announced in the month of may the allocation for manrega was enhanced by another 40000 crore and so the total uh, uh, you know budgetary allocation for uh, this scheme is now around uh, is uh, more than uh, 1 lakh crore and it has done quite well in terms of uh, uh, providing employment to households who demanded work so 99 so as per the data for from march 2020 to 17 september 2020 99.8% households who demanded work were offered employment and uh, 84% employment was generated against demand and also if you look at you know this uh, manrega portal if we visit the manrega portal it gives us a snapshot of the number of individuals employed the number of households uh, employed and it gives a yearly comparison and what we see is that even though this financial year is uh, uh, not over we have just entered into the second half of the financial year uh, already uh, the number of individuals and the number of households who have been employed they are more than the number of households and the number of individuals that were employed in the previous financial year so just in terms of numbers 6.46 crore households uh, worked as on 20th november uh, for this financial year fy21 as against 5.48 crore households in the previous year and similar goes for individuals 9.32 crore individuals uh, worked until 20th november uh, starting from this financial year Uh, as compared to 7.89 crore individuals who worked in the previous financial year so we do see that this scheme has resulted in providing uh, employment to more number of households and more number of uh, individuals as compared to the previous uh, financial year but we want yeah so there are certain uh, issues that are uh, involved uh, if we look at the average days of employment provided per household 
that is only 40 days and not only the average days but the average wage rate is also somewhere around less than rupees 200 which is uh, as per a study which was published in ideas for india where they uh, very clearly show that uh, this wage rate is less than the statutory state minimum wage uh, for agriculture in 17 states uh, and what has, what is more uh, intriguing is the fact that, uh, that there have been a number of uh, committees uh, set up to determine wage rate to understand the underlying criteria uh, on the basis of which the Manrega wages should be fixed. Uh, and recently there was a committee uh, which suggested that Manrega wages should be fixed on the basis of CPI rural rather than CPI agricultural labor. Uh, but we don't have a very transparent detail on how these uh, wages are uh, wage rates the wages are determined and this is especially important because uh, if they are lower than the state minimum wage for agriculture there has to be some reconsideration about the wage rate because it is this wage rate which is important that will enhance the spending power and it will help in uh, you know improving the distressed uh, the, the the nature of distress in the poor households so there has been uh, uh, some proposals about increasing the duration of uh, uh, guaranteed work from 100 days to 200 days. There has also been some uh, problems uh, which have been pointed out by uh, a number of studies that were that have been done on uh, the workers who have worked under the Manrega scheme, and they find they they find these studies find that there has been uh, there have been a lot of uh, infrastructural problems in these scheme especially in relation to payment delays. So wages are not paid on time, uh, that there, there is a lack of awareness amongst workers. They have to make multiple visits to banks. And since these are primarily re remote areas, so banks are quite far off from uh, the panchayat. So it's very, they are actually incurring costs in making multiple visits to banks. Uh, and uh, they have actually, uh, actually calculated the extent of cost that uh, workers have to incur in going to banks and still they do not get their uh, salary. Uh, so there's not only multiple visits to banks, but also multiple visits to ATM. Uh, then there are, uh, there are uh, incidents of uh, biometric failure, there are incidents of ATM not giving, uh, uh, not, uh, you know, uh, releasing money. There are also uh, cases where the workers are rejected their wages and they are not even aware of the fact that there's a dispute redressal mechanism, they can actually uh, file a complaint. So there are a number of problems with the implementation part of the scheme that uh, has been now till by now well documented, which needs to be acted upon to further improve the, the enhance the effectiveness of uh, the Mandrega scheme. Next slide, please. So, uh, so that was for the rural uh, sector. That is, we had the, the PM Garib Kalyan Rojana and uh, Rozgar Yojana, and then we had the rural uh, uh, with the Manrega scheme. Uh, what was done for the formal sector? What we see is that uh, in the third version of the Atmanirbha package that was announced in the month of uh, November, government announced a scheme for which would in the uh, uh, medium run helps in incentivizing formal employment. So what is the scheme that every registered uh, employment under the EPFO that brings in new employees uh, during the period from October to 2020 to June 2021, or they are able to re-employ back those workers who lost their jobs uh, between uh, March to September 
though such um, uh, establishments will be eligible to some kind of a wage subsidy, a PF subsidy, uh, depending upon the number of uh, employees they are uh, employing. Uh, so for those organizations who are employing up to 1,000 employees uh, and where the worker's salary is up to rupees 15,000, uh, the EPFO contribution of both the uh, employer as well as the employee would be borne by the government. Whereas for those uh, enterprises or uh, organizations which employ more than 1,000 employees, only the employee contribution would be borne by the, the government. So in any case, what it tries to do is that for, for the employer, it tries to reduce the human cost of uh, recruitment. And for the employee, it increases the take-home uh, pay of the low-wage earners. Uh, so it would help in uh, incentivizing. Uh, it would help in incentivizing formal uh, employment, and uh, uh, in addition to this, a number of uh, some more additional criteria have been uh, put forth as part of the scheme, which is that there has to be a base. So September 2020 is the base. On top of that, at least you have to employ two employees or five employees, depending upon whether you are employing 50 employees, your organization has 50 employees or more. So there are certain checks and balances uh, to ensure that genuinely there is uh, uh, these uh, employ the, these organizations which are part of the EPFO, uh, they, in, they employ people uh, and then they are able to uh, get the benefit of this subsidy, which is provided by the government uh, for a period of two years. Next slide, please. Yeah, so what we, in terms of data, what we see is that almost 15 lakh subscribers were added to the EPFO subscriber base in the month of September, which is the, the latest period for uh, which we have uh, data. Uh, and a part, uh, a major chunk of this new subscribers were in the age group of 18 to 25, which is a, which is a very heartening uh, feature, uh, a critical indication of the labor market. But at the same time, what these numbers need to be taken with a pinch of salt, primarily because a, a, a number of times this data gets updated in subsequent months. Because this is, as we see, this is the net subscriber edition. So it also, uh, it also uh, subtracts the people who have exited. And those who have exited, uh, the companies uh, or the organizations are not legally bound to provide data on that unless and until those employees file their claims. And uh, uh, these employees generally file their claims two to three months after leaving the employment. So we do see that a number of uh, times this uh, employment, uh, the, the uh, EPFO net payroll addition data gets uh, updated in subsequent month. So we need to see whether this number prevails or we do see some volatility in the net payroll addition uh, in the months going forward. Next slide. Also, there was a, you know, if we look at the urban uh, employment, so for rural employment, we do have scheme, the Manrega, and we have the, uh, the other scheme, which was for generating durable rural infrastructure. Uh, in between, there was also a uh, uh, lot of uh, uh, opinion pieces in newspapers uh, on uh, having uh, an urban replica of Manrega, uh, so that those people who could not go back to uh, villages or those who have lost uh, uh, their job, they should have, for them, there should be an urban uh, replica of Manrega. So there was a proposal to launch an urban uh, replica of Manrega, but uh, now what we do find is that the government has for now shelved the idea of having an urban replica of Mandrega. Uh, 
so it is important to have some discussion around this point on whether it is desirable at this point in time to have an urban replica of mandrega uh, do we have the urban infrastructure do we have the urban local bodies fully equipped to roll out a such certain gigantic uh, scale of project which is which is prevalent and which was primarily envisaged for the rural sector so what our arguments are uh, we've written a piece on this in the print so what we we feel is that mandrega was primarily envisaged to address seasonal unemployment arising due to uh, the due to uh, seasonal nature of agriculture and if we look at the uh, uh, the act it is primarily the nature of work is unskilled manual labor and there is there is it, it is doubtful whether unskilled manual labor can be particularly useful for building urban infrastructure so and also the scheme is primarily conceived as a wage intensive scheme so if we look at the wage material ratio of uh, mandrega it is around 60 to 40 uh, 60 40 so the 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 proportion of materials the proportion of raw materials the expense on administration is very less as compared to wage so the main component uh, of expenditure on mandrega is wage so it was it, so these are the features of mandrega which make it primarily suitable for rural areas rather than urban areas next slide please so this just shows that you know it's it's it is so useful in rural areas uh, to have uh, uh, unskilled manual workers to build where there is a scope uh, for building rural infrastructure that we, we need work on uh, digging land for for uh, digging canals and so on but it is doubtful if these are the kind of works that we also require in metros in big cities uh, or even in small cities we do do we require this kind of a work or do we require more uh, work which is which has more intensity of material or capital rather than just the component of wage next slide so as i pointed out the scope of urban uh the scope of unskilled manual uh, work is uh the scope for urban uh, uh, the scope for unskilled work is limited in urban areas the capital content of urban infrastructure tends to be uh, high so for employing the same number of workers the total expenditure would need to be much higher uh, in say construction activities we do require much more uh, material uh, as compared to um, uh, wages in urban infrastructure so that is the reason that we don't uh, we cannot conceive of a mandrega in uh, uh, urban areas so also another point that is worth noting for urban areas is that uh, a sizable proportion of the cities have you know very limited infrastructure limited sewerage system the urban local bodies is a uh, you know they are fiscally constrained they are understaffed they lack uh, skilled staff and they do they, they, their own revenue is a very small proportion of the uh, total gdp uh, so unless these uh, situations or unless these constraints are addressed 
namely improving the urban infrastructure where we have uh, you know good sewerage system we have roads which have uh, better standards uh, we have urban local bodies who are well equipped uh, to deal with the problem of um, uh, to 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 implement uh, manrega it is very hard to think of uh, you know introducing uh, manrega in urban areas uh, another uh, important uh, point worth noting here is that you know it's going to be very fiscally challenging because uh, for an urban manrega a scheme like an urban manrega it would require another 4 to 5 lakh crores to you know uh, to to implement this scheme in uh, most of the major cities of the country so unless these problems are addressed what we find is that you know the framework of uh, incentivizing formal jobs through uh, epfo is a better mechanism than uh, you know floating an urban manrega in the current circumstances because it will it is going to propel migration of workers from rural to urban areas and uh, it would uh, create challenges for the already constrained urban infrastructure next slide please so yeah so we discussed these uh, uh, just to point out there has been a study by azim premji university which points out that if such a scheme is to come in, into existence it would cost around it would cost around rupees 4.5 lakh crore uh, and given the already fiscally uh, challenging situation where the government has already borrowed uh, 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 additional 4 lakh crore its fiscal deficit is 12 lakh uh, crore uh, already it is very hard to conceive of such a scheme in the present circumstances so from all this what we see is that whatever has been the approach of uh, government schemes during this point in time is mainly to create an ecosystem or to facilitate rather than you know giving uh, rather than starting something afresh so they have what they have done is they have tried to improve the uh, outlay on the existing scheme they have tried to improve the they have tried to enhance the outlay on uh, rural manrega they have tried to use the uh, 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 the framework of epfo to provide incentives to formalize uh, to formal employment and so on so that has been the approach of uh, uh, the government schemes on uh, addressing the problem of unemployment and that seems to be a prudent strategy rather than starting something afresh given the already crippling urban infrastructure and the constraints faced by the urban local body so once these uh, problems are addressed then we can think of having an uh, urban replica of manrega and there we need to do some tweaks we, ca we cannot have only a wage intensive manrega we need to have more of uh, the component of capital in it into it uh, and more expenditure oriented more capital oriented because the the demand for uh, uh, durable asset creation in urban areas is quite different from rural areas next slide please so in addition to this as we just pointed out that the 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 uh, main underlying theme of the government's atmanirbhar package is to uh, generate demand and not give uh, large cash transfers as the government is already fiscally constrained so we see that while the government has made a lot of announcements the actual fiscal outlay of the central government on account of all these packages is less than 2% of gdp be it the eclgs scheme or a number of schemes that have been announced by the government these are mostly schemes which takes into account the present infrastructure or which takes into account the uh, the framework which is already in ex into existence uh, to help in uh, uh, addressing the problem 
Again, they have announced a scheme, which is the production-linked uh, scheme for uh, uh, 10 sectors. So that also in the medium term will help in generating employment because the if you look at this, the sectors which have been uh, taken, uh, which have been chosen for the purpose of production-linked uh, incentive scheme, those are those sectors which are uh, labor-intensive. Those are those sectors in which uh, we have some export potential. So in the medium term, it will help in generating more employment and it's primarily for those uh, sectors which can uh, generate more production and which can generate more investment over and above what is already prevalent as part of their uh, base month. Next slide please. So as part of the uh, what we now need to see, so we've looked at the data, we've looked at the kind of recovery that has happened in the employment scenario in the uh, country. We've seen that it's primarily driven by informal sector, but we also know that that cannot be a, a, a sustained feature of an of a economy that strives to become a $5 trillion economy by, uh, you know, in the next five to six years. So going forward, the strategy around uh, un uh, on addressing the problem of unemployment needs to change. And it needs to begin with identifying, uh, it needs to begin with assessing the extent of informality in the system and then helping it solve it. Next slide, please. So that's the major problem that we have rampant uh, informality in uh, India's workforce. Even those people who get regular uh, uh, who get regular salaries, they are also we cannot say that they are part of the formal workforce because we have you know like we have maids, we have a number of people who are employed. They do get uh, uh, regular salaries, but they are they cannot be called formal in the strict sense of the term because uh, they do not have a formal job contract, they do not have social security measures, they do not have a system of paid leave, and so on. So it is important to first analyze and understand the extent of uh, rampant informality and what has caused this uh, informality in the system. Is it that our rules and regulations are such that uh, prompt people to remain informal? Uh, what are those? Uh, what are those uh, constraints that uh, bind people uh, that, and uh, you know uh, lead result lead to a situation where they are informal? Next slide, please. So just to give some numbers on uh, these, so th these are taken from the, uh, the latest uh, periodic uh, uh, labor force survey of 2017-18. So here we divide, we consider the employment uh, situation in three buckets. Uh, there we have self-employed uh, people, we have casual labor, and then we have regular wage or salaried workers. What we find is that regular wage or salaried workers are in a minority and around 77% uh, of employment in India is either in the form of uh, casual labor or uh, self-employed. So that becomes a problem. Uh, because regular wage salaried workers is in minority. And even within the regular wage salaried employees, 71.1%, a sizable proportion of these people uh, do not have a written job contract. More than uh, half of these people are ineligible for paid leave. Also, another half of these are not uh, eligible for social security. Uh, so even within the, within the class of uh, workers who have a regular uh, job, who have regular salaries, uh, they, are, they are not formally employed. So 
what's the problem with having a rampant informality the problem is that it's characterized by low income lack of social security and what we need to understand is that during the covid-19 pandemic this the, the scale and extent of informality has further increased uh, because workers lost their formal jobs and a sizable proportion of these workers have either become self employed or they have joined some casual uh, uh, jobs even formal enterprises are now looking for more of informal uh, they are hiring workers in an informal way in order to cut their costs because they are not sure of their sales and profits so they are doing a lot of cost cutting by whatever employment that they are doing is primarily employing hiring informal workers so uh, there has been a persistent trend towards informality which has further got accentuated due to the covid-19 pandemic uh so what has been uh, now proposed is that you know the after the covid-19 pandemic it has been uh, understood it is acknowledged that at least now there is a need for an updated uh, data force on the scale of uh, informal unorganized labor force in the economy which also includes the migrant workers so unless and until we have a database we are not even aware of the extent of this problem then it won't be even possible to address these problems through various schemes uh, so for the first time now after seeing the, the miseries of the migrant workers the first time it has been acknowledged that this is a priority for the government to create a database for the informal workers also including the uh, migrant workers so but while the government has announced its intent uh, we don't see much action happening till now but at least now there is an intent which has been acknowledged that there needs to be a uh, database for uh, the informal workers next slide please so yes there has to be a move towards uh, formalization of employment because of the various reasons that uh, we've uh, identified in the previous slide and here comes the discussion on uh, national employment policy what uh, the government has again uh, promised to fast track the, the national employment policy uh, it it needs to have certain aspects it needs to have a it needs to have a more holistic approach so that the problem of unemployment can be addressed next slide please so there needs to be a uh, you know uh, there is a talk about fast tracking national employment policy uh, it needs to have a holistic view on uh, unemployment it just doesn't need to only capture at uh, you know increasing the number of people who are employed what is important is to also see the composition of uh, employment so that there is more meaningful uh, gainful productive employment in the formal sector because as we've seen from the uh, be it the cmi numbers or the official uh, statistics we see that there is rampant informal uh, uh, employment in the economy there is also another problem of low and declining female work participation rate which has been pointed out by the plfs the periodic labor force survey it points out that you know that there has been a there has been a de decline in the labor force participation rate primarily due to decline in the female work participation rate so that is something which needs to be um, arrested and policy measures need to focus around improving the labor force participation rate including the female work participation rate also any program or any policy measure towards uh, improving employment has to focus on uh, providing more of productive jobs and less of low quality jobs this is especially important in the current scenario because you know as we've seen we've discussed that 
whatever recovery has happened has happened mostly in uh, low productive jobs and also in agriculture but when we compare the uh, the surge in employment in agriculture with the actual uh, you know value addition in agriculture which is the gross value addition in agriculture we see that there is a massive disconnect while there has been an increase in employment in agriculture we don't see that transforming into a concomitant increase in the value added and that is where the problem is that this is actually uh, implying uh, the fact that the these agriculture the laborers who are employed they are not contributing to meaningful productivity gain that is why we don't see an increase in gross value added and that's true for agriculture because beyond the point it's not possible to employ and increase productivity so there has to be a shift uh, whatever shift has happened during the uh, pandemic from uh, Uh, from factories to farm now there has to be another uh, movement or shift from farm to factories or uh, to more relatively gainful uh, employment opportunities and in this context we also need to understand the our enterprise structure so what we see is that especially in our country we have a missing middle in the manufacturing sector we have a pyramid kind of a uh, structure where we have uh, Uh, a, a sizable proportion of our enterprises are in the micro and small category and then we have some large industries but we what we lack is a middle group so what are the what are the reasons that are remain uh, small those are the things that need to be uh, understood what are are there some labor laws and regulations that are uh, promoting dwarfism or is there a threat of automation that is keeping them away from the formal uh, net so these are some of the things that need to be you know uh, need to have a national level consultation and program as part of the national employment policy thank you Yes, Professor Vinod Jabram, over to you. Vinod sir. Yes, yes, I'm here. Yes. Yeah. Uh, thank you, Dr. Atika Pandey, for that uh, uh, very illuminating, interesting, uh, as well as exhaustive uh, talk on uh, uh, pandemic and the employment scenario right now in India, and also the. Uh, way forward that you had suggested it was quite interesting uh, i think uh, i'll just uh, summarize uh, a few things that i thought that it was quite interesting which i when i heard uh, this that is the uh, the the recovery of employment into an informal uh, in a, into the informal sector post covid i think that is an interesting and it's a it's an important dimension to worry about because uh, Uh, of late during the 2011 12 to 18 19 period we had seen uh, 17 18 period we even though the uh, uh, regular wage employment is low in the country there was a surge in regular wage employment during 2011 12 to 2018 yes, so yes. there was a rise but now what we are seeing after if uh, what you're saying is right uh, what we are saying is a reversal of that and uh, we are seeing also the along with that we are we are also seeing the informalized the informalization process had not reduced though regular wage employment had increased during the last period now what you are saying is that uh, both both informalization uh, along with casual casualization 
both together kind of taking place. I think that's a, that's an important thing to take note. But it's uh, all, uh, we also need to consider the fact that unemployment rates have reduced yes. and uh, the new types of employment that is coming up. And that's a very important thing to look at. And in, in the overall uh, scenario, how MGNR has played a very important role. Yes. I think that's another takeaway that you had uh, given us a good throw on this thing that uh, the, uh, the scheme that at one point was uh, thought to be a useless program, uh, now it seems yes. to have become, it has become the center point of uh, a kind of a rural, uh, not only a rural, it's a, it's a national program. Yes. It, it's just that uh, it, it, it's positioned in the rural, but in fact, its impact is across rural and urban. Right? So Absolutely. so in that sense, it, uh, it, it, is, uh, it, it has played a very important role. And I think you have rightly thrown that up. And, uh, this, and also about the, the third aspect, I thought was the, the, the thing that you had talked about, formalizing employment through EPF. Uh, scheme and that also I thought was a very important aspect to bring forward uh, uh, the 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 efforts towards formalizing how far it takes place. Of course, I mean the EPF4 data from the beginning it had been creating a lot of uh, noise uh, and yes. uh, not only in the media the data itself has a lot of noise. So yes. I mean how far uh, it is it can be taken seriously that's another thing. But the, the efforts had been there and the uh, the package right now it is also focusing on that and. Uh, uh, how far it will drive that that's also one thing to be seen that's i think that's an interesting thing and then also the question regarding the urban equivalent for mgnrgs uh, mm -hmm. whether that is an important option as such and your your doubts and worries about that that, that also i think it, it is quite well taken i think uh, these are the uh, 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 brief points uh, that i have uh, summarized right now uh, now i think so i mean uh, uh, dr arjun i think so uh, we should op uh, open the floor for uh, uh, comments from Dr. Amrita and uh, Professor Utpal. Is that what? Yes. Uh, so, yes, Bhagat also want to add, sir, can yes. I add? Yes. Or we can go to our discussions. Bhagat, sir, yes. what would you like to, if you want to go first? Uh, we can go, I think, better. Uh, let us have comments. Huh? Yes. From the oh. audience and also discuss it. So, okay. Uh, okay. Could we so, start? Uh, with uh, with uh, with uh, your permission, Dr. Arjun, I think we can ask Dr. Amrita Pillai to intervene right now. Yes, yes, please. Yeah, please, Dr. Amrita Pillai. Yes, ma'am is a consultant at NIPFP. And ma'am, you are, you are on mute. So kindly unmute yourself. Yes. Yes. Please, please go ahead. Sorry, you were saying something earlier. No, I was just saying that ma'am is at NIPFP. Yes. Just mentioning you. Okay. Um, I'd like to begin by saying that I'm delighted to be part of this talk. So thank you, Dr. Kumar, for inviting me to be a discussant. Uh, and thank you, Dr. Pandey, for this very insightful session. Um, I would like to discuss in some detail the informal employment scenario that Dr. Pandey has already touched upon in her session. Um, this is an issue that warrants immediate and sustained attention. Um, informality exists in both the nature of businesses and the relationships between businesses and workers. Um, the last available database to understand the scale of informality in India's enterprise structure, particularly, is the 73rd NSS round, 2015-16. Uh, uh, from there, we know that we are looking at 63.4 million um, unincorporated non-agricultural enterprises, excluding uh, construction. Of these, 99% are informal micro units. Uh, within these, uh, we have a predominant share of owner-managed and self-employed units. 
the next highest share is of units which employ up to five workers. Uh, both the NSS data sets that we have on the unorganized sector, the 67th and the 73rd, um, consistently denote low and stagnant wages, uh, especially with respect to micro units. Uh, there is a lot of research now that tells us that India's chronic informality uh, in the labor market since the 1980s has created more and more subcontracting, uh, temporary uh, contract workers rather than formal jobs, which Dr. Pandey has already alluded to. Um, now coming to the micro, small and medium enterprises, the MSMEs as we know them, are the uh, largest employers uh, in the country after agriculture. It is a labor intensive sector that uh, employs approximately 114 million persons, uh, very salient uh, to the economy because it contributes 30% of India's GDP, uh, not to mention 50% uh, of India's exports come from goods and services from within the sector. Uh, this sector would have been affected even pre-pandemic because of the twin shocks to it um, uh, from demonetization and then the rollout of the GST. Uh, come the pandemic and the national, state and local lockdowns, um, it is clear that it would have been one of the hardest hit. Uh, there are various surveys, both at the national level and the state levels, uh, that capture how a vast majority of them have not remained uh, solvent could not meet their capital requirements, could not pay their workers despite government directives to do so during the lockdown. Um, and many of them would have thought of winding down already. Um, if, if the government has been cognizant of this, of how salient a sector it is. Um, and in May, uh, the sector received a tailor-made stimulus package uh, comprising a cohort of measures. Um, the credit support measures included an emergency credit line uh, comprising collateral free loans. There was a subordinate debt provision inclusive of a partial guarantee support. Um, there was equity infusion as well. And there were other um, uh, measures such as directives asking government departments and PSUs to clear MSME dues within 45 days. Um, the global tenders for public procurement up to 200 crores were stopped. Um, a, a very significant structural reform that took place um, was in terms of a statutory change in the definition of MSMEs itself. So it is very clear from the measures that you know, have taken place that uh, the government is, uh, has understood the importance of allaying the impact of the pandemic uh, on the salient sector. However, having said that, um, in order to assess um, to what extent these measures, especially the credit measures, um, uh, have uh, positively impacted the 63 million uh, uh, crore, the 63 million enterprises that we're talking about, I think it's important to check for the eligibility criteria uh, of all these schemes. Uh, I'll just end with, I only have five minutes, so I'll end with suggesting a few potential pain points that remain uh, and require the government's attention. Uh, the first would be credit for first-time entrepreneurs to bring them into the formal fold. Um, we know that firms that start off formal uh, perform much better than those that don't. Uh, the emergency credit line, the collateral free loans, for instance, under the Atmanirbhar package uh, is only uh, uh, available for those that have a 25 crore loan outstanding um, already and a turnover of up to 100 crores. This automatically um, uh, renders ineligible fresh borrowers uh, from availing this very, very crucial credit line at a very important point in time. Um, it would be prudent for the government to either consider another credit line of maybe a smaller magnitude uh, for such first-time entrepreneurs, uh, it, could be a, it could be a good way to also formalize those that are starting off. 
Um, and if that is too much of an ask, it could also consider uh, carving out of the present credit line, since only half of it has uh, hit this puzzle yet. Um, it could consider carving out a provision for those that are starting off, that agree to start off as formal and are new. Uh, secondly, post the upward revision of the definition criteria for MSMEs, many, many micro firms are uh, expected to now choke an already bloating micro unit segment. Uh, some provision has to be thought of so that the ones at the lower end of the spectrum are not crowded out of availing credit. Um, another final suggestion and a very general suggestion uh, in order to increase uptake of these very important government schemes that are now being rolled out um, is that you have to increase dissemination of information to MSMEs regarding them. Uh, there are a number of ground level surveys that highlight that there's an acute dearth of information regarding these schemes uh, amongst MSMEs. Uh, this, is, this was true even uh, pre-pandemic and this will hold true and have severe ramifications now. Um, many MSMEs are unaware of the scheme eligibility, the benefits, the advantages, disadvantages of not availing of these uh, in time, uh, especially with respect to the Atman repair package measures. Uh, it's time that there's a massive campaign designed to disseminate this information across the country, especially tier two and tier three cities. Uh, the information that is disseminated also has to be done so in a very simple and understandable format in, in various languages, of course. Uh, these are some of the things I wanted to say in addition to what Radhika, uh, Dr. Pandey has already spoken about. Uh, so thank you once again for having me here. Thank you, Dr. Amrita Pillai. Uh, can we now, uh, Sir, Professor Bhagat, do you want to intervene right now? Yes. Bhagat, sir, if you'd like oh, to add anything, or we can go to Professor Utpalde also. Uh, yes, we can go to Professor Utpalde. Yeah. Professor yes, Professor Utkal, Utpal Kede is joining us from Northeastern Hill University, Nehu, Shillong. Sir, over to you. Kindly try to be brief. We can hear you. Uh, I will not. Can you hear me? Yes. I am audible? Yes. Yeah. Uh, I, I will not speak much, only one, two minutes only. So, not here. Yeah. Uh, the the question is that one I I little late I joined here so uh, that that I saw that in the data that is showing that uh, in the first phase of the pandemic there was a huge decline in the employment unemployment surge you know and in the second phase after July whatever I saw that recovery is much more than what was lost isn't eighteen percent and then it became twenty one point something. Now question is that in the second quarter, if you see GDP declined further. First uh, quarter, it was 23.9 percent, it's 24 around. In second phase, also more than 9 percent. It did not grow. It declined further. Now, if employment really increased, recovered, and recovered more than what was lost, then uh, why it is not reflected in the output then? At least, so what type of data they are revealing, I have some doubt, I don't know. So it needs some introspection. Because I earlier I had said in another seminar that the there it was shown that in agriculture and rural sector employment recoveries was more. Means there was a more employment been generated. 
now employment generated or on the one hand the people who came back from the cities or the metros they could not find alternative employment so they joined whatever left over in their remaining land with the other brothers or other family members that means without them also this work could go but they joined also and they are maybe counted as the employed so it's a disguised unemployment type of thing but here officially declared as the dead employed and also in the manrega some activities were undertaken no doubt that was but as you know that manrega whether real it is reflected in the output or not as happens so that assessment never happened in that way so that is one thing that really whether that more than the lost recovery has taken place or if it has taken place whether it is a reality or effectively employment has been generated that is one thing and another thing and because because the question simultaneously come that those who have returned to the from cities to the means uh, re reverse migrated to the suburban or village areas remote areas many of them still not did not return to the cities and joined their job so in the either formal or informal whatever you say many of them did not get only the government sector though who those who were on paper or in, they are still enrolled as the worker because they are formal they are not uh, wiped out so they are getting their salaries so they are employed or work at home some companies they are doing high tech companies that is also there but uh, but still the question remains here because we we are seeing not only this pandemic situations last few years it is continuously there is an informalization as you also said uh, dr pandey also said that that there is an informalization and and what you call that is drw type of employment that means uncertainty also is evolving so you you work for 3 days if i don't need next month i shall not get so it is not that monthly base salary those who are getting everywhere even in the formal institution not only you go by the the by various multinational companies your airline everywhere or even uh, small and medium enterprises even in college universities also there earlier they are used to have the permanent employees like security guards but now no more only that this much of money will be given you employ one person or contractor you employ so many people and this is the job you have to do so they are doing drw basis daily rated worker basis and they are hire and fire are like that like everywhere contract system even in agriculture also so this type of employment creation whether it is really there is no certainty that's why and life security of those people uh, how they will survive in future and third only half a minute i will tell about that atmanirbhar bharat which is generated that through loans will be given but the ground reality is not the same many people are going to the bank they are not given that type of loan even for the housing sector i know my many friends they said that no we approached the sbi they told that no no these are the guidelines even though it is announced you will not be given loan so unless loan are not extended they do not buy the houses how the entrepreneurs or the producers those who are, are the construction companies how will they further produce and employ people so this linkage is still not in operation in india so in the atmanirbhar bharat also simultaneously you are inviting the foreign funds to invest here but definitely they will not use the labor intensive technology so mostly those will be labor saving technology 
and more automation will be there. So you, you are on the one hand telling uh, local for vocal and atmanirbhar Bharat, and on the other hand, inviting foreign capital to simultaneously can go together and generate more employment for the domestic people, our Indian people. So this much only, uh, I, I have some doubts and clarifications. Thank you very much. Go ahead. Okay. Yeah. Yes. Yes. I think uh, Dr. Arjun, why don't you just uh, take over and uh, contact it further? Because I think... Uh... Yes, yes. So uh, now I should invite uh, Professor Bhagat. Thank you. Thank you. Yes. So it was nice uh, listening to Professor Pandey and very comprehensive talk. And two discussants have highlighted as well as Binoz, a lot of things. And really, it is a debate, I think, what you intended to do uh, from this uh, platform, that uh, debate on employment. So I think debate is very important, and we have to look at many things uh, in this debate. As Professor Pandey said that we require 90 million jobs by 2030. So in a year's time, at least we should uh, generate uh, uh, 10 million, 10 million jobs. In 10 years time, then it will be 90 or 100 million something. This is very a uh, challenging task. And then second is the quality of employment. That is the decent job that is regular, formal, socially protected jobs. We are lacking, this is declining. So challenges are huge. And then therefore we have to, first critique we have to make that India is a big country. One size fits all, can it work? If you want to uh, generate 90 million jobs in next 10 years time, where the jobs will be generated? Will this job will be, there is no idea at least, which part of the country this job will be generated. Will, will this job will be generated in Western India with a, uh, with a core of Mumbai, uh, Pune, Ahmedabad, or in Northern India with Delhi as a center, Gurgaon and this NCR region, or somewhere in Bangalore or somewhere, uh, somewhere in Hyderabad? This segregated approach, I think this is how we have to debate and make a critique that this is a reality. Now, how, how this reality can be made with. And therefore, a type of thinking of decentralization or decentralized way of creating jobs with local opportunity. And that is what now government says, be vocal on local. Atmanirbhar Bharat. And therefore, they should listen to the academicians, uh, scholars, those who are saying that, yes, 90 million jobs are required, decent jobs are required, and this should be created, where it should be created, what. And therefore, this policy doesn't have this type of outlook. Which part of the country, where the sufferings are more, if people are migrating from this country, it is central India. It is Jharkhand, Chhattisgarh, Bihar, Eastern UP, Odisha, parts of Northeast, and now West Bengal also. So I think somewhere, I think this we have to see if you want to really become vocal on local or Atmanirbhar Bharat, I think. And that is, I, is a, a very important to further uh, uh, critique and elaborate 
because uh, now uh, it is only said atmanirbhar bharat it is not equated with swadeshi movement now you see deliberately so one we have to realize also that it is the politicians who are making the policy and we persons social science from social sciences or from economics background we are trying to study policy is made by politicians and therefore there is a political economy of policy so in that respect why not we then call it uh, swadeshi if we call it swadeshi then immediately it will comes that we need to deglobalize so atmanirbhar bharat never says that we need to deglobalize we we should be more globalized and we achieve 5 trillion dollar economy and therefore when we try to achieve 5 trillion dollar economy what is going to happen to the growth uh, to 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 job creation of jobs and therefore this disaggregated decentralized uh, approach one side fits not uh, all that is very very uh, way of uh, uh, looking our uh, policies and this is becoming a part of a part of embedded in our system and when we talk about uh, this uh, 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 local and vocal being vocal on local then planning process is very very important we talk about manrega but whether there there is a some understanding how village plans are created unless we have panchayat level planning and manrega is integrated into panchayat plans or block level plans or district level plans what we are creating is very ad hoc things somewhere it will be dig out and somewhere it will be filled up and then at the end uh, that is type of asset creation or ownership or that that type of i think it is not uh, uh, it, it is not promoted and what has happened instead of planning we have we have gone into the project mode and project mode is again we need to have a critic that whether we can we have a sustainable development can we have a labor intensive can we create job and at village level or at a district level can we achieve sustainability so planning is very very essential bottom up planning decentralized governance so these are i think uh, larger issues of political economy and uh, i like to again uh, reemphasize reemphasize that the policies are made by the politicians and we are trying academicians are trying to understand there may be certain nitty gritty somewhere we will try to uh, point out the what is the problem and try to fix it that uh, whether people are getting loan or not getting loan or who should get and then you see entire framework the entire framework is su supply driven not the demand driven and therefore one more debate is that how the policy can be made demand driven and therefore one important that we need to discuss one aspect that universal basic income if large number of people are out of job market so insecure that sometimes job comes as a bubble and then uh, you have to capture for few months and this is happening not at a lower rung but at a higher rung rung also and when we see our phd students 
young scholars having master degree, PhD, and they are getting job for two months, six months, and then they are not getting job after some few months. Then again, getting it's like a bubble. Job has become a bubble, and therefore we have to think of about demand side of economic growth and social protection and universal basic income. How one can achieve universal basic income, and that is minimum of the Manrega. Manrega uh, uh, specifies the 202 rupees uh, per day, so in a month's time it will be 6,000 rupees. So can we ensure an adult person of a household can get 6,000 rupees as a basic universal income and demand, this can generate demand in the economy. Uh, so this is also a debate. Uh, so these are, I think, larger issues. And as Professor uh, Pandey has said, that we need non-farm job. And this I again like to emphasize, that agric agriculture has a saturation point. And there is a lack of demand uh, uh, elasticity. Agricultural products are not demand elastic. If we are producing close to 300 million tons of cereals, food grade, if we start producing 350 million, where, where will be the market? Now you see the farmers, why farmers are agitated. They want a, just a minimum support price to be ensured. And it is not clear whether the uncertain that they are going to get in terms of market-driven situation. So more production in agriculture doesn't mean more income to the farmer. And therefore, farmer needs that their son, one of the member of the farming household, may get non-agricultural job, non-farm job. And that is, I think, the crucial thing, how to create non-farm job. And in that respect, Manrega need to be integrated with, uh, with Panchayati Raj development plans or planning, local area development, local opportunity, so agro-processing industries or local whatever is there, timber opportunity, forest products, uh, water resources, various things need to be. So I think this requires a, a type of uh, thinking beyond uh, economics and uh, technology to wider, rooted to be wider in political economy. So that is, I think, is a point of debate left uh, to, and I think this presentation or this platform and presentation of Professor Pandey and your comments, very valuable. And I, I think this will be carried forward and we need to keep on debating and communicating with the policymakers. So thank you very much. Thank you. You can carry forward, Dr. Yes, yes. thank you. Thank, thank you, Professor Bhagat. Uh, Dr. Pandey, would you like to, you know, uh, give a rebuttal over to you? Yes. I just wanted to uh, answer to Professor uh, Day's uh, concern about the fact that uh, GDP has still contracted, whereas uh, uh, employment, we see a rebound. So there, I just wanted to make one comment that uh, whatever, as I mentioned, and whatever data is showing, it is showing that uh, employment has rebounded in the informal sector. Whereas when we talk about GDP, GDP is not even capturing the informal sector. You know, GDP is only capturing the uh, formal sector or the organized sector. 
So there is a disconnect between the informal sector and the, uh, the GDP numbers, which are uh, released by the official uh, statistical agency. There is a disconnect. So when we, we do see uh, growth in the informal sector, but th that may not be captured in the GDP numbers because GDP is only, uh, you know, talking about the organized sector or the or the formal sector. So there is a disconnect, and therefore uh, there could be a, uh, you know, the increase in informal employment, but at the same time GDP could have contracted. Uh, at the same time, you know, just as a for an analogy, look at the demonetization period. During the demonetization period, it is the informal sector that suffered a lot. But during that period, if you look at our GDP, GDP was still growing, uh, you know, at an impressive growth rate of uh, above six percent. So there is a disconnect between informal sector and GDP that uh, we need to take into consideration. So that was one uh, remark that I wanted to make. Yes, thank you, thank you, ma'am. I had few some some of the doubts also. I wanted to register sure. to sure. this August uh, uh, panel here. Uh, Ma'am has really touched upon, but I'll uh, quickly touch upon the latest figures of uh, GDP, which has come the sectoral wise. Uh, Professor Arun Kumar also highlighted, as you are rightly mentioning about the informal economy and you know non-measurement. He suggested that the recovery is going to be a K-shaped recovery, not U or others, because many of sectors are bouncing back. You know, fast many of them like hospitality has gone really down and rest restaurant. The new numbers is really saying that uh, uh, there are on, uh, largely only four sectors out of uh, out of nine ten, uh, which has uh, which has a positive uh, growth. Yes, yes, one was manufacturing, uh, other than the agriculture manufacturing. Then we have uh, uh, the utilities, uh, the electricity and gas, and uh, uh, and mostly uh, these three. The construction sector, which is the the next most. Uh, a sector which which have a lot of employment uh, just next to uh, our uh, our agriculture sector that has not you know really uh, uh, have grown and as we know as you are rightly mentioning that in urban informal employment there is a whole lot chunk of you know construction sector uh, in this regard how do you see that uh, there also a lot of job has been uh, i have also written an article white collar booze regarding the same point which you are mentioning and a lot of people are also uh, looking at it uh, uh, this way and what do you see one technical thing which i also wanted to know from you ma'am you mentioned something that the uh, wages of narega uh, which is linked to uh, how to link it with you know uh, cpi uh, wages be it rural wages or agricultural labor and what do you think with the differences would come if we'll go, if we go to you know uh, uh, rural wages or agricultural labor and what is this discussion all about if quickly if you can um, touch upon um, in terms of urban job programs you really mentioned that uh, this is not doable as of now but what the global experiences shows us if um, you can also enlighten us that what is happening what kind of activities are happening at other places be it gardening or what or how it can be integrated because there of course is demand also from municipality and if we integrate them uh, let us say also give them social security then what kind of lever government would have especially during this emergency time as our chair is also highlighting that regional development is important and there is not you know one size fit all because there are so many things happening in india so many disaster uh, at simultaneous time uh, because there is really business cycle is attached to it and you being a, a leading macroeconomist know 
this very well then how ma'am what kind of schemes will we have should we have a furlough sort of scheme so that those who have epfo we support them like what european nations are doing or, or should we do something like urban narega you mentioned the apu study they are suggesting 4.5 lakh crores for such program uh, which is uh, really untenable we also did a study Professor Bhagat also uh, uh, came there and and participated in that panel on city makers, wherein we interviewed more than around three thousand uh, respondents uh, in urban areas, those living in slum in uh, informal job. From that study, we really uh, highlighted that uh, uh, not urban narega, but something sort of urban basic income uh, to the tune of a, doll- a dollar a day. Uh, really looking into the thalinomics we said that 2000 rupees per person not household and an android phone looking into this pandemic we calculated the numbers for 2 3 months what could come that was coming out to be 1 lakh crore so that is something what we highlighted because some some push some need has to be you know given especially during this pandemic time because ma'am really highlighted the point it's not only the quantity but also the quality or the output ma'am really highlighted a proposal sir uh, that uh, Uh, since ag- agriculture is giving positive you know growth rate but in terms of output it is not that up to the mark ma'am really also highlighted in her uh, uh, lecture another thing ma'am uh, uh, because we are not uh, moving ahead with any employment driven like narega in urban areas what our government from also last budget has been focusing was on national infrastructure pipeline where we have more than 7 uh, more than 7000 projects of uh, you know investment tune of 1 crore crore 1.04 crore crore uh, that was something also how do you see it because the experience of smart cities or amrut uh, has been really dismal and if we see what has happened to uh, even after the rera has come what has happened to the real estate or construction sector all the legal and other things it's really not moving in terms of i would say uh, a business prospect or ease of doing business or a business cycle in that real estate sector that is also what uh, in in our urban economy is something what is struggling how do you see what impetus and every time we are giving impetus our government uh, uh, in some form or other be it affordable rental housing comp complex you know other social security measures but it's really not you know going uh, very fast uh, largely one other another thing i just wanted to uh, ask was uh, but linked it to it was the youth employment which i think our chair has mentioned ma'am in um, in us uh, about the doubt of you when you uh, mentioned the national employment policy uh, fast tracking it and also Uh, touching upon uh, uh, one new informal workers committee professor mitab kundu has been uh, appointed co-chairman of that committee and he, he also does not know much about it so yes really uh, but on automation what us and developed economies are also highlighting that uh, there will be job losses but there will be also addition of new jobs to the tune of that it will cover to 80 to 90% how do you see this phenomenon uh, in india uh, uh, going forward uh, looking into ai blockchain or other things can we have technology and also the replacement of new jobs because we are focusing so much on skilling can we harness the technology uh, ma'am yes i will just stop here you can choose to answer anything yes Okay, thank you so much for uh, that insightful discussion uh, uh, i would try to touch upon some of the points that you made uh, first the point about the manrega wages uh, so 
it's it's the point that i was trying to make is that we do not have a great deal of transparency about how the manrega wages are actually determined so uh, if you try to search for on the um, uh, on the manrega portal what you will find is that they will they what they have said is that earlier the indicator used to be uh, cpi agricultural laborers uh, so that's that means that they are looking at the uh, uh, the uh, uh, price level of the consumption basket of agricultural laborers and uh, then there was a committee set up under the uh, chairmanship of the additional secretary of ministry of rural development and he suggested that the uh, underlying indicator should be broadened and it should not be just cpi agricultural laborers it should be cpi rural uh, because we are not just looking at agricultural laborers we are looking at landless laborers we are looking at uh, laborers who are not working on farm but on other uh, you know asset creation activity so one needs to look at cpi rural as the uh, basket on the basis of which the wages need to be determined so that part is clear but after that how actually the wages are determined that is not clear and uh, there was a uh, article which says that you know the writer that tried to ask through uh, right to information act they tried to you know try to find answers to their question but they were not given their answer so those are some of the things that need more uh, uh, you know need policy attention especially because as they pointed out that the wages are even below the statutory minimum wages under the agricultural sector which the states release so even if they are below then they are not serving the adequate purpose of uh, you know getting them out of the distress poverty levels or improving their standard of living uh, so that is the point about that about the point about how other advanced economies are uh, addressing these uh, problems so uh, amrita and i did an article just at the beginning of the uh, uh, lockdown on how other countries are solving this problem primarily for the uh, uh, msme sector which is the you know the small sme sector which is called in the advanced economies uh, so there their main impetus is on subsidy they are giving some kind of subsidy uh, so that they the the employers uh, are given some payment uh, some lump sum payment so that they do not uh, 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 they do not throw out the uh, employees so if they are uh, willing to keep their employees then the government incentivizes them by giving a, a lump sum payment so th there is some subsidy component that is uh, attached to the enterprises in the advanced economies and that is especially true for uh, both the uh, uh, the small in, uh, enterprises in the manufacturing sector as well as in the services sector uh, but when we started with the, you know the contemplating these kind of scheme we find that advanced economies fiscal situation is much better our fiscal situation even before the pandemic was uh, very uh, you know bad if we look at we could not achieve the fiscal deficit target for uh, fy20 uh, so we deviated from the target even after announcing a deviation our actual fiscal deficit target was much more than what was uh, you know targeted so our fiscal situation even before the pandemic was bad so it was not possible for the indian uh, government to roll out those cash outlays or those kind of uh, uh, massive uh, uh, cash oriented programs that were announced in the uh, advanced economies uh, so <clears throat> so that that is why the the framework has been more on incentivizing through the existing framework that is through manrega or through uh, epfo now as you rightly pointed out that 
one of the strategy through which uh, employment generation can happen is through the, uh, the NIP, the National Infrastructure Pipeline, under which a set of projects have been identified to be completed within a, a span of time. But at the same time, around with that, a number of other accompanying uh, factors need to be uh, you know, addressed. One, one factor that needs to be addressed is economic policy certainty. Because if there is economic policy uncertainty, the private investors are not going to collaborate with government on these public-private oriented partnerships and uh, all because uh, sometimes uh, there is a certain policy, then their policy changes, then they suffer loss, their entire calculations around their cost uh, revenue matrix go haywire. So it is not important. It is it is very important to, uh, to to give that assurance to investors that there is economic policy certainty at least during this time. At the same time, there has to be robust dispute redressal mechanism and contract enforcement. Unless there is contract enforcement and dispute redressal and, uh, and robust dispute redressal mechanism, it becomes very difficult to have uh, encouraging active private sector participation in infrastructure because government on its own cannot go beyond. So if you look at the present GDP number, the second quarter, government spending has actually contracted in uh, the first quarter, it was the government spending that drew whatever GDP we had. But in the second quarter, the government spending actually contracted because other than the transfer payments on uh, uh, the, the Garib Kalyan Yojana under which uh, food subsidy is being given, free food grades are being given. Other than that, government spending has not increased. So going forward, it has to be more of public-private partnerships and for that, the various uh, roadblocks towards uh, having a steady uh, uh, attention of private sector participants in infrastructure creation has to be addressed. So those are the, the stumbling, then these are some of the stumbling blocks that need to be addressed so that the private sector do not face unexpected cost escalation. Because if they face unexpected cost escalation, then they will not be part of the program. And then the program will be stalled. They will be terminated. What will happen again as a second round effect will be that the banks from which they have borrowed, those banks will have a huge NPAs and so on. They will not be able to lend to genuine sectors. And so there will be a, you know, a second round effect and so on. So those are the kind of things that whatever your present infrastructure regarding contract enforcement, dispute redressal, economic policy certainty, those are the, those are the things that uh, uh, need to be addressed. And finally, on the question of what can be the targeted, uh, uh, you know, uh, flow of income. We do have, we have seen that, you know, uh, we have this Garib Kalyan uh, uh, Yojana under which uh, some food grain, 5 kgs, rice, wheat and chana dal uh, and all these uh, are given to uh, 80 million uh, poor people. So any such kind of program towards addressing the problems of vulnerable section of population requires first having an identification strategy. So unless and until, so you have, you have people as part of the National Food Security Act. So those people you could identify and that is why you could transfer, you could give them food grain. At the same time, you need to have some kind of an identification strategy for the informal sector. Uh, 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 people whom you want to cover as part of your uh, uh, whatever transfer program that you want to have because it needs to be more focused, it needs to be more meaningful in order to avoid the problem of moral hazard. Because what we also see is that uh, because we have a vast scale informal employment, if people get money, you know, very subsistence level of money in their hands and they get food grain, they will not work. They will become, they will 
opt, uh, they will voluntarily opt out of the labor force. So that is something which needs to be discouraged that, you know, we should not have a situation where the labor force participation rate comes down and which we have, we are actually seeing in the data in the months of October and November. So those are the things that also need to be balanced around when we think about identifying a uh, a, a group of people to whom uh, focused transfers need to be made. So for that, we need to have an identification strategy and at the same time have a situation that moral hazard problem is not uh, encouraged. And lastly, uh, a very important program that government needs to initiate is to do a system of skill mapping. Okay, so there are, so what needs to be done is that there are projects which are in certain states but the laborers are in some other states. So there has to be some kind of a mapping between the demand for labor, where actually is the demand for labor, where are the projects, where are the industrial clusters, and where is the excess supply of labor. So there has to be a matching of that. Okay, so there are certain clusters in Noida, there are certain clusters in uh, Ghaziabad, there are certain clusters in Okla, but where is the supply of labor? Those, those, uh, there has to be a program for uh, inculcating skills in them so that they can be meaningfully employed in these uh, industrial clusters. So we do have uh, these clusters, but we, we need to do technology upgradation and skill upgradation of these uh, surplus supply of labor and then do a skill mapping so that, uh, you know, the problem of uh, unemployment can also be addressed and at the same time they can be uh, employed in more meaningful uh, 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 jobs which actually lead to more output rather than just GVA growth that we are seeing. Whatever GVA growth we are seeing is due to cost cutting and not due to output. That is what we saw in the manufacturing sector GDP growth. Uh, what we saw it was positive not because of output growth but primarily because the, the firms had cut down on their cost. That is why they generated value addition. So these were some of the points that I thought I could respond to. Thank you. Thank you. The PDS, the PMGKY was at actually 800 yeah. million. Yes. Yeah, 800 was, million. Yes. Sorry. I got confused between crore and a million that is. Yes. Right. I just for the record I mentioned. Ma'am, uh, yeah. really, I just follow up two, three things. I just wanted to, yes, to gain this opportunity. One thing which you ma'am mentioned at the last was skill mapping. UP government, Delhi government, many of the government have tried to. Delhi government have used this opportunity and really given uh, what they're claiming to, to give uh, give job to, through online job fair, Mila, to 2 million, around 20 lakh. Do you think that is something substantial because uh, we really have to have 10 crore more jobs in like coming 10 years? On the part of exclusion and inclusion, and one uh, on the part of MSME, since we also have Dr. Mrita Pillai, and there has been a lot of push for the MSMEs, be it mudra or be it other things. But what in terms of policy, we feel that there is a lot of reluctancy, you know, not giving to, uh, as ma'am was highlighting, that we have around more than six crore MSME, a registered one, we have around 70 lakh. And even in that, you know, uh, more than 90, 95% is small. A very less people also the, in the package it was assigned a three lakh crore not all the money has been utilized so far ma'am also highlighted and what do you think are the strengths and weaknesses to uh, to giving uh, money to msme the first time entrant as as dr pillai is highlighting we also tried and connected to msme ministry that time also we highlighted that's one thing you can do like the companies that uh, at least send the newsletter to them uh, you have the email and everything they did send but uh, then, you know, credit or what other levels, uh, what do you think? Is it about of NPA 
or very high cost accruing to the bank or you know no incentive what can be done because that can really be a lifeline to our economy because private sector is involved uh, our banks are really worried about the npas or the cost one last thing i just uh, uh, wanted to mention that what role can minimum wages ha can have you really mentioned about narega and you know uh, uh, the ministry of labor also had that report of around 10000 rupees but that was also 2 years ago urban rural dif uh, uh, differentiation ma'am how do you see minimum wage as a tool to spur economic recovery or will it also become very hard for uh, you know those who are giving employment ma'am your thoughts then we can also should i also go to professor vinoj ma'am sir if you would like also to add then ma'am can have yep, sir yes please unmute yourself sir yes yeah uh, can, can i just quickly throw one or one or two spanners into the show so that uh, the yes. discussion can be a little bit lively more so uh, one of the things that i wanted to raise is the issue about the data itself the employment data that we had been speaking about now the cmi data i mean uh, you might be aware that cmi data in as unemployment is quite different from what the plfs defines as unemployment so reading the and especially with regard to uh, uh, how they identify regular workers as unemployed and not un not unemployed cmi specifically not the plfs so when they when we are seeing this large numbers growing up and large numbers coming down uh, we should take a, take it uh, with a pinch of a salt as to whether these numbers are i mean comparing cmi to cmi it's fine i mean i'm 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 not saying that cmi is not because we don't have anything else i think so, so we should we should just take what is there but then uh, there should be we should take it a little bit critically also that's, so that's one of the things i thought i should lift up secondly uh, regarding the uh, msme issue i think one of the issues that we should also consider is that the change in definition that the government has proposed uh, with regard to msme and i think that's a very serious thing to uh, especially in the context of employment the the current change in the definition actually it's a, it looks as if it is it is more exclusionary than what was earlier the, the earlier definition of msme what used to be defined in terms of 25 lakhs uh, as uh, investment in plant and machinery now the change to investment uh, in plant and machinery to one I, i think so it's about 1 crore i think so and 5 uh, crore as turnover right now sure. so both together has to be there so you can actually there are two conditions now yeah. both together has to come so actually it becomes mm -hmm. more exclusionary though it looked as the amount has increased i think so it actually is more exclusionary and why is it that if our focus is on employment why is it that why don't we just define msme on the basis of employment instead of uh, worrying about uh, all these investment criteria and all these capital because uh, world over uh, if you look at many of the countries actually they define their msme on the basis of employment rather than looking at uh, and ilo has a very clear definition about what is an msme on the basis of the size of firms size of employment in the firms rather than looking at capital or turnover and stuff like that. so why is it that we are kind of uh, uh, kind of shying away from doing that i mean if we did a small exercise and we we know from uh, from whatever numbers we have we already know that uh, it is actually excluding rather than including more number of firms so something that we need to be worrying about when we, even when we are talking that msme should be included and stuff that's another uh, that's one uh, thought that i i thought about bringing in and a third aspect uh, it's a, um, uh, uh, with with regard to one of the last few remarks that dr radhika had made uh, it's about the employment uh, uh, 
I mean, uh, a basic minimum employment, uh, if we provide them with, for example, if we give uh, food, then the employment participation rates might decline, labor participation might decline. I mean, that, that, uh, we should be, I mean, uh, to, my, to me, my personal view is just that uh, employment is basically for what you want to earn. It's not for employment, right? I mean, I work because I need to work to earn my living. If I, and uh, I mean, all the theories always talk about that labor participation is, a, it's, a, it's not a normal good, I mean, being employed, employment is an inferior good. It's not, an, it's not a normal good, right? So you don't want to work actually. And it is because you don't have any other option that you end up working. So I think at a personal level, I think so. I mean, uh, I mean if people choose to be out of the labor market, uh, there should be ways of finding people to enter the labor market, but not by uh, denying the basics. The basics cannot be denied. Uh, it has to be provided, and there should be other ways of attracting workers into the system. I think I'll stop with uh, these uh, few comments. Uh, it's open. I'm, these are just open comments. Okay. Yes, yes. Thank you. Dr. Pandey also wrote a very good article on MSMEs. I think Indian Express. Yes, really, I let over to you. Yes. Yes, yeah, so, yes, please. Yeah, so just on the point of uh, the MSME definition, I think Amrita <laughs> will also uh, agree to it that yes, uh, you know, the definition has become very, uh, it's become uh, difficult and especially the the entities who were uh, actually micro earlier, now there are there is a surge of uh, enterprises in the micro sector and that actually results in what they could have got as part of the priority sector lending or they could have got as part of the credit under ECLGS. Now there are more number of participants who are vying for that uh, pie of credit which was earlier allocated only for the genuine uh, micro enterprises. So yes, uh, that I completely agree that while it on the paper it appears that you know the uh, it's 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 been made more uh, uh, expansive but it mainly helps those uh, large enterprises who were previously large but now they have come under the medium enterprises and they can take advantage of the various schemes and policies that are there for the uh, msme sector but uh, on the other hand those who are already part of the micro sector they would definitely suffer because now there are there is there are more number of enterprises in the micro who were earlier in the small and now they are part of the micro. Uh, so in that sense, uh, there will be more number of uh, enterprises in the micro who are now looking for priority sector lending and the other scheme that are particularly dedicated to the uh, micro enterprises. So that is a, a challenge and world over, we do have, um, uh, as you rightly pointed out, that uh, MSME uh, definition is based on um, uh, the number of employed uh, persons and not based on investment or uh, turnover. But here we have now made it investment and turnover that makes it quite a restrictive uh, uh, definition. Uh, so Amita can add to it why we don't have uh, you know employment-based definition, and that exactly makes the uh, you know comparability across uh, uh, global and Indian SMEs also very difficult because we don't have that uniform criteria that we see in uh, other countries. On the point about uh, subsistence and uh, uh, you know the transfers, I did not want to. I did not intend to make that point. My only point was that if we have just you know uh, we are providing uh, uh, 
subsistence wages we are giving wages to that much of uh, uh, salary or that much of uh, the pay and therefore i need not work so it was just a, a, a side point about uh, how to balance moral hazard as well as uh, incentivizing people to work it was not a point that you know that basic uh, requirement should not be met absolutely that that has to be met it was only the point about the fact that how much to whom all those questions are very important while uh, addressing these uh, points balancing with the fiscal uh, fiscal situation of the government and if we have uh, better mechanisms like uh, incentivizing through the existing frameworks of epfos and doing more of uh, skill mapping those are uh, better uh, mechanisms towards attracting uh, workforce and have that, those are more sustained measures of uh, generating meaningful gainful employment rather than just having a, a, a transfer scheme that is required but it should not be the only and the only long term measure that was my only intent when i uh, talked about uh, made about the point about this thank you i would just like to react to what uh, professor ibrahim was saying about msmes earlier um one uh, key reason that we don't uh, define msmes Uh, by way of employment size is also because we simply have no database that records our workers um and this has been pointed out by various expert committees the most recent being the expert committee on msmes of the rbi which was chaired by uh, mr uk sinha they also said that it's high time that we have a database where each enterprise unincorporated non agricultural enterprise is given a unique enterprise id and also the workers within them are aadhar linked so we have a sense of who is moving from where uh, which enterprise to which enterprise uh, uh, regionally speaking uh, where are they moving uh, across the year um, for how long do they stay within an enterprise uh, which enterprises do they like to work in longer etc etc so um, i think now the government has started uh, its work uh, in more seriousness there is something called the udyam system that has now come in replacing the earlier udyog aadhar memorandum it seems like they are a little more serious about it this time because the rbi by virtue of a circular is also asked all lending institutions has given lending institutions the power to now ask for this udyam registration in case they want to lend uh, so it seems that it it might uh, uh, there might be more registrations that we can see there but that is again only for the enterprise and not for the worker for the worker like uh, uh, dr pandey's ppt had i think that's the only database that we know that they are building for workers Uh, but until that sort of a system is brought in and each worker is linked with a certain number even if it's the aadhar number will we be able to define something like an enterprise by virtue of employment yes yes thank you <clears throat> thank you dr pillai i also wanted to add that even those who have this udyam number even they are not getting this msme rightly as here you know uh, also written in your article and uh, uh, let us conclude we are well over time but i really wanted to also add and uh, give one two minute to professor bhagat to uh, our chair to also conclude sir this issue of data beat msme beat migrants informal employment i think uh, since i am you know sir studying from jnu or even delhi university now uh, even since niti ayog has been constituted this issue has been highlighted again and again 
I think uh, uh, that the, we lack data and uh, so much of time is passing by and still we are not coming up with data. So we have the solution of data, but uh, time and again, only the time is passing. We constituted something called PLFS, then again, that also gone. Uh, and uh, during the time while we are raising, a lot of data can be produced. So uh, thank you everyone for this. And now over to Professor Bhagat. Yes, to re really. Uh, thank continue. you, thank you, Dr. Arjun. Uh, one of the participants has asked one question. Uh, let me uh, reply that one. Uh, one participant uh, named Manvi Mahajan. She is asking that uh, now recently there is a ban on Pakistani workers by UAE. So will this uh, benefit India? So if you see the labor market of the Gulf, there is a cutthroat competition and there is a, uh, workers are being employed who can take less and less wages and salary. So if there is a ban on uh, Pakistani workers, so Nepali workers can come or Bangladeshi workers can come and can work on just uh, 25 or $30 per month. So this is what, and then the workers from Africa also coming uh, to the Gulf. So it is not necessary that uh, our workers, uh, Indian workers are going to benefit. The second day question is that whether government should uh, do something. Yes, government should do something to protect the rights of the workers in Gulf. Because there it is a kafala system and it is still semi-feudal mode of exploitation. One has to surrender the passport, uh, there is a sponsorship. Government can do a lot of things and doing also. Uh, through bilateral agreements, but uh, there is a much more to be done in order to protect the rights of the migrant worker in Gulf. So with this, uh, I think this was a very interesting session and very good discussion and debate. I think the purpose is fulfilled and a uh, lot of things have been discussed. I think it's a eye-opening and it can be carried forward and we can have further more uh, talk on all these aspects. Only one aspect I would like to uh, underline and highlight, uh, I chair, that uh, we have uh, scrapped planning commission, but still we have planning boards in different states of India. Different states we have planning boards. These planning boards must be activated. And planning, unless we have planning, there is no convergence of program at the panchayat and block level. We have, we, our programs are in silos. So Ministry of Rural Development doing a, a Manrega work and Ministry of Health doing something, um, uh, health-related work, Ministry of Women and Child Development doing ICDS work. So every ministry is doing in silo. How this can be a convergence? It, is, it can be, con be a convergence through planning. And state planning board must be activated. And Kerala is, I think, one example where they are doing very good job. And uh, so similar things, there is a need to. So again, I what I said, one size fits all. And where the 90 million jobs are going to be created, that matters for India's future. And uh, India's development or social development or sustainable development. So I think with these remarks, I will uh, uh, stop here. Thank you very much. It was very nice learning from all of you. Thank you. Dr. Pant, would you like to have any concluding words? 
thank you very much for this insightful for this opportunity thank you very much for the insightful discussion and uh, you know we we discussed in a very small short duration of time not just the problem of employment but also all the allied areas around it like msme the problem of data informal infrastructure so i think uh, you know it this is this was a very insightful uh, discussion and uh, i learned a lot from this thank you very much for having me here Thank you, thank you, Professor Vinod Jabram. Would you just like to yes? Yes. Uh, thank the you. Thanks. Yes, from all of us. <laughs> yes. Yes. Yeah. Uh, thank you very much uh, for uh, being here and uh, inviting me also uh, to moderate the session. Thank you, Dr. Radhika, Dr. Amrita, uh, Dr. Bhagat, uh, Professor Bhagat, Professor Uppal, and. Uh, all the other participants who are in the panel as well as uh, the other participants uh, who have listened to the speaking that to the uh, various talks it was quite an enlightening session i think we had as uh, dr radhika just said uh, it was quite an enlightening and a vast canvas that we were able to cover of course none of these problems get solved but i think discussions take them forward one by one small steps at a, at a time thank you very much dr arjun for uh, uh, organizing this uh, dr simi thank you very much for organizing this and uh, we'll close this session thank you thank you thank you so much have a nice day yeah thank, thank you, you.